Those last few words of that song are still in my mind and are very relevant to today's message. All I am is yours. Is that the desire of our heart this morning? I have tweaked the the message and uh, it should come up in a moment. Um, Idolatry, ignorance and an intersection. The theme of Acts, uh, we see the beginning of Acts in Acts 1, uh, the theme is an empowerment of God's people, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit and going out into the world, fulfilling the Great Commission. And the beginning, we see, of the, of the church. And I think this passage really, uh, and, and along with other passages in Acts, really encapsulates that theme. So we sort of see a theme of Acts in the chapter of 17. Paul, empowered by the Spirit, takes the message of the Gospel to the Greeks in Athens. And he puts it to them that they now need to make a decision, believe in Jesus as Christ and Saviour, the resurrected Lord, or reject him. It's a choice. You have to make it today. And 2,000 years on, we are called to, to do the same. Tell the people the good news. There's good news. Jesus is God. Jesus came and died for your sins. There's forgiveness. There's a relationship to have with the creator of the universe. There is hope. There is peace made available to you in this life. There is purpose for you. There is opportunity for your life to be transformed and changed powerfully by the Holy Spirit. That your life would be the evidence would be seen in the character of Jesus would be seen by the world. The fruit of the Spirit would be seen. The holiness of God would be seen in your life. Uh, that's good news, isn't it? Well, Paul sets off on his second missionary journey. Uh, we see that in chapter 15. We sort of swap passages around the last couple of weeks. So Keith went back to 15, but a couple of weeks ago Peter Keep was in chapter 16 and we saw that uh, that uh, missionary journey, I'm sorry if I'm in your way there, but um, and we were, in, we were up here in Philippi uh, and we saw up there the, the jailer um, and, and uh, Lydia was, were, was saved and the jailer's family was saved. And uh, when we get to chapter 16, Paul and Silas have come down here to Thessalonica. And here in Thessalonica, they're preaching to the Jews and some Jews were saved, but a lot of prominent women and Greeks were saved. And the Jews, in fact, were getting quite jealous here in Thessalonica. They weren't happy. So they they, they sort of started to get a a mob ready, a, a bit of mafia, and... They're like, get after these guys. And they scurried them out of the city and they came down to this place called Berea. And we know a bit about the Berean Christians. 
the ones who sought the scriptures when they heard the message that Paul was giving. A great example. Uh, I went to, uh, well, I think it's Wednesday nights. It's not on anymore at the moment, but there's a show on ABC called The Weekly. And uh, it's Charlie Pickering. I might only watch it because I, I shared a, a, a dressing room with Charlie Pickering. His, uh, when I did the hard quiz, I was in his room. <coughs> and, uh, and so maybe that's why I'm watching the week, I, I don't know. But it's a bit of a comedic uh, take on the news of the week. And their catch cry is, you we watch the news so you don't have to. But I can tell you if your only take and understanding of the news is what you saw on that Wednesday for half an hour, you'd be a long way off from the actual truth of what's going on. You need to also watch a bit of Sky News, <coughs> a bit of Channel 9, a bit of Herald Sun, a bit of The Age. But it's a bit with these... But it's a great example and it's a bit about what's going on with the Berean church. It says they went to the scriptures when they heard the gospel, the message that Paul was bringing. And, uh, and so here they go from in Berea and the Jews in Thessalonica got word so they, spent, they sent people down to Berea driving out of Berea. That's about 70 kilometres and so they make their way down and, uh, and then Paul leaves Berea and heads all this way, about 300 kilometres to Athens, down south here. And Silas and Timothy are still up in Berea. And that's where we find ourselves when Ken started reading this passage. In verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. Athens is one of the greatest cities in Greece, famous for its culture and intellectual minds. Over hundreds of years, Some of the greatest philosophers had lived there, including Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. But that aside, it was considered the religious capital of Greece. And it had, they embraced all kinds of gods and built altars and statues and they worshipped them. The city was full of idols. And that distressed Paul. So many of these idols carved beautifully out of silver and gold and stone. But they didn't give any glory or honour to God. And that was offensive. That was offensive. In 2018, we got to go to a concert. uh, Ed Sheeran, a Divide tour, I think it was, at Marvel. Um, really a brilliant musician there was a woman that stood out it stayed in my mind you know all this time maybe because of what's happened this last week with Taylor Swift but a a woman in Perth uh, spent 
thousands and thousands of dollars to get tickets to every one of his 18 concerts around Australia and travelled around Australia going to every single concert. And I think that's, like, incredible commitment. Probably enough to say, like, amazing worship. Adoration of who this guy is. And we've seen that just in this last week with Taylor Swift. The, the, have you seen the pictures and videos of what people are up to? I, I can tell you, you didn't have to... I wasn't in the office, I logged on to Ticket Tech here, uh, trying to get... There. I was working on Thursday and Friday when I came back. But people had like 18 computer screens open trying to get these tickets. Tickets are now selling online for like thousands of dollars. <clears throat> Apparently millions of people trying to get a handful of tickets. You know, we worship musicians, sports people. The worship of our heart can turn to materialistic things, money and houses and And I was just considering this week, how does it sit with me? How does it sit with us when we consider where our community places importance? How does it sit with us when we consider what our society worships and pours their energy and time and love into? Do, do we stand out in that context? Do we stand out? Seeing that, does it distress us like it distressed Paul? And as he looks out and sees this culture of idol worship, He reasons in the synagogues and in the marketplace day by day, preaching the truth that Jesus died for sins and he rose again, that Jesus is God. And in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. These two, these two uh, philosophers, sort of groups of philosophers, schools of philosophy, uh, were a few hundred years old. So they were powerful, they were uh, well known and, and they had done well. Their influence had reached far and wide. Their, their teachings were well followed. The Epicureans were founded by the Greek philosopher Epicurus. They believed that the world well, was not created by any god, uh, but was, uh, well, it was just a, a matter of an explosion. Like a, uh, it was just a, a joining of atoms and a coll- random collision. And their ultimate goal in life was pleasure. But even amongst the Epicureans, that still divided them. There were those that 
still took the morally good sort of line and said it was pleasure of the mind and those that took the line of pleasure of the body. And morals weren't such a great big issue. Neither of them believed in the resurrection or any sort of resurrection. The Stoics believed that the universe is God. Everything in the universe is God, that God is in everything. That God is in the tree, there's a bit of God in you, there's a bit of God in me. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? 2,000 years on, these thoughts and these philosophers, they might not be known as Epicureans or Stoics, but there are people that believe this same thing. People that live with these same principles. The modern Stoics would be called the Pantheisms. The universe is God. And there are plenty of people whose life goal is about pleasure. And they come to Paul and call him a, a babbler, a very condescending sort of term. You know, you're dealing with these sort of elitists and they're like, oh, this babbler. Like, and the meaning of that is to say he's, he's gathered thoughts and for, from all different sort of groups of people and he's put them together to, to try to claim something new. Uh, that's the sort of meaning behind their, their talk. He's a fake, he's pretender. And, and Paul wanted to defend his ideas and explain to them. So they took him to the Areopagus, known as Mars Hill, a, a place where judges and rulers, society's elite would come and talk about civil and religious matters. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a, 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 a formal trial or anything, but it was a place where Paul discussed the teachings of Christ. I think it's incredible as I thought about this and yeah, they're talking down to him and mocking him but Paul's just rocked up to this crazy, amazing city and all of a sudden Paul is in the place where the society's elitists are and he's been brought in there and he's telling them about Jesus. God works in amazing ways. And we come to the beginning of Paul's sermon or his message in verse 22. He stood up in the meeting. Men of Athens, I see in every way you're religious. I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship and I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. You know, when Paul would speak to the in the synagogues and, and speak to the Jews, he, his method would be to talk about history of Israel, talk about the prophets. 
and the promises of Abraham. But it's a different approach here in Athens. He comes at them with their culture in mind and the the context of sharing the gospel is about what's going on in their life and who these people are. And he finds something that will connect and strike, pierce their heart because they think they're so smart yet he claims they're ignorant. And that really would have had them listening. You even worship gods that you do not know. Ignorant. Do you know the God you worship? Do you know the God you worship? That's coming out through what Paul is saying. But but it's also very true of today. Do you know the God you worship? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? Is that true for you today? Because is it possible to be religious but not know God? Is that possible? Absolutely it is. Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the religious leaders, the people that were looked up to and were, were, were giving advice to the, to the people on how to live according to the law. Jesus says to these people, these religious people, woe to you, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You do not even enter and you try to keep people from entering. And in Matthew 7, Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom. It's important to know God. If we don't know who we worship, then what's it about? It lacks sincerity, it lacks genuineness. And Paul explains the creator... Almighty God wants to be known. Wants to be known. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. In verse 24 and 25, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You see, this this instantly attacks both schools of thought, of philosophy. The creator God blows away the thought that everything is just random. It blows away the thought that God is in the earth, that God is just in the universe. No, no, God created the earth. God created the universe. The gods and the ideas from the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers is God is an impersonal force to be reckoned with. But Paul's message is, no, no, God is very personal. Very personal. 
and wants to be found. The Athenian gods are in temples and they required certain offerings to grant your wish. Come and give, then you'll receive. God doesn't work like that. We serve God because he is Lord. He doesn't give to us because we give something. He's not obliged to give us anything. Only out of his grace and mercy do we find salvation, forgiveness and spiritual blessings. God is the Lord of heaven and earth and has done all these things. Why? In verse 27, God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God has poured out his grace to the world to give people life so that people would seek him and find him. God is not impersonal like the idols of Athens. God is very personal and very nearby. And maybe the question hit them as it might hit you today, then why can't I find him? Why does God seem far away? The truth is for for salvation but also for believers living the everyday life of in our Christian walk is that if we don't seek God, if we don't desire to know God, we're going to find ourselves continually asking this question, why is God far away? We can't get complacent enjoy life away from the will of God which is sin oh we love our own pop culture philosophies and at times we just try to squeeze God into that we want to fit in we want to be liked we want to live the life we want to live but have a bit of the perception that we're also religious. And we end up worshipping created things rather than the creator. We start to find that we're investing our time and our money and our energy and our thoughts and our mind in all these other things, but not in knowing God, not in our relationship with God. And we can become ignorant of who God is. Jesus prayed in John 17 to the Father. Now this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Ignorance of God leads to death. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
Paul quotes from two of their philosophers and used this as a connection point again to pierce their hearts and their minds with the truth. And attacking their thoughts and their philosophies, referring to God and his creation. In verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design and skill. These were their gods. That's all they knew. And he's telling them they were worshipping things that they had created. And then in verse 30, ignorance is no longer tolerated. You must repent. The good news of Jesus is spreading and people are being made known. People are being made aware, I'm sorry, of the good news. There's no excuse. Ignorance can't be claimed. You've been made aware. There's a decision that needs to be made. Jesus died for your sins. There's forgiveness. Change your life. Turn to Jesus. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Believe. Be saved. Because he's coming again to judge the world. Jesus first came in human form. Just a few visitors. Nowhere to stay. A humble servant. A lamb to the slaughter. Many more adjectives and ways to describe Jesus 2,000 years ago. But he's coming again with eyes like a blazing fire and on his head will be many crowns, a sword coming out of his mouth and the armies will be following him and he will rule with an iron scepter. His name will be written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. Big hurdle for these guys. Big hurdle in Athens. The resurrection. Hmm. And so in Athens, these people come to an intersection. A fork in the road. A decision must be made. Part of our eight-day trip last week uh, was uh, was to head to Alice at the end. Um, not a lot of enjoyment at Alice, I must say, for us. Uh, but we did find a place to go do a walk. It was about 80 kilometres uh, west of Alice. Uh, we had done a number of walks. In fact, I've never gone on a holiday and done so much walking. But we did this uh, this walk 80 k's out of Alice at uh, a place called Allery Creek Big Hole. We'd done a number of walks by now. We'd sort of gotten used to the landscape. We just got out of the car. We knew what to do. Make sure you got your water bottle. Off to follow the arrows. Take you on the, the 3k walk. So off we went. Straight from the car. Across the, this old... Uh, it used to be like it looks like a riverbed, but it's dried up. 
and we'll start following the blue arrow. Off we go. Until a couple of hundred metres in, when a very wise woman... Was it you, Mackenzie? Or? No, was it Mum? It was Mum. Everyone's pointing to Mum. It's Mum's fault. No, it's not Mum's fault. We're glad. <clears throat> we were following the blue arrows that went for about 32 kilometres to Serpentine Gorge. <laughs> now, the 32 kilometres is bad enough, but Serpentine Gorge, I don't want to be there. <clears throat> Fortunately, we went back. We realised we had to follow the, the purple arrows. Or reddish purple. Thanks for the corrections. Uh, that was the three kilometre walk. Much more uh, n- nicer. <coughs> and we still followed, we still went past, I didn't see this on the walk, but when I looked on the map yesterday, we actually went past a lookout area called Snake Rock on that 3 k walk. <laughs> You're like on this little path and it's just long grass everywhere. This like... That's <coughs> <laughs> how I walk, like the, the song. This is how I was walking like that, in the infantry road. <laughs> what direction did they take? Well, what will be your direction this morning? Will, will they believe, will, will you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for your sins, that he's raised from the dead, that he's coming again? This world, this life, you know, it's not forever. It's not forever. Jesus is coming again and the date has been determined. We don't know when, but he is coming. Are you prepared to meet the judge? The message hasn't changed. There were three responses we see in verse 32 to 34. The first response was rejected. I hear it, but I don't need that. I reject that. I won't believe. The second response is we want to hear you again. Perhaps there was some sincerity in that. I'm not sure. It seems that most of the, of the people at Areopagus were happy just to move on with what they knew. Go on living the life that they were already living. Because that is comfortable. That's what they know. And finally, there were those who believed. One of them was a member of the Arapagus, a high-ranking citizen, a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Perhaps this morning you come to an intersection in your life. And it's an intersection of, do I believe this news that Jesus is God, that he died for my sin and that if I believe by faith I will be saved, that Jesus is coming again. And there's a choice to be made. 
Maybe you've been in that place and you've, you've come across that intersection actually and, and you've made a decision. You've said yes to Jesus. You've believed by faith. And you've been a Christian for I don't know how long. But today the Holy Spirit is convicting me that I'm at an intersection now in my life where I've been saved by faith but I want my life, so I want to live by faith. I want to know God more. I don't want to be ignorant of who God is. I want my life to be an example to the world about who Jesus is, his love, the fruit of the Spirit. A hundred and fifty years ago, a lady called Annie Hawkes was so caught up in the business of life. And that hasn't changed, isn't it? Life is busy. She reflected on the need, the need in her busyness to stop and remember that she needs her saviour. She sensed the need to be close, the need to know God more. to surrender all to him. And we're going to listen to this song in a moment that she wrote as those thoughts come through her mind about the need not every year or every week to know God but the need to know him hour by hour in joy or pain. And this morning, if there's an intersection that you're hitting and, uh, and you realise that there's a decision that needs to be made for Jesus, or maybe a decision that says, oh, <coughs> I've made a decision by faith, oh, I want to live by faith. I want to know God more. I want to commit to not just being saved and living the week as I want to, but I want to change my life. And that comes through knowing God more and surrendering my life to him. Then take this time to respond to God as this song is played. Take this time to respond to God. You might want to come down and and talk to me about it or someone else and, and pray with you during the song or after the service or during the week, whatever it may be. But this is an opportunity, an intersection. What will you do about it today? Thanks, Andrew.